0: Hi, you are listening to the Conflict and Development in Africa podcast. This podcast is for policymakers, governments, researchers, students, businesses, and anyone that is interested in conflict and development issues in Africa. On this podcast, we hear from experts from across Africa and the world. Your host, Dr. Michael Wangpa, will ask the questions you would want answers to. Michael Wangpa has an extensive experience spanning over a decade studying, researching, writing, and consulting on conflict and development issues in Africa. to another episode of the conflict and development in Africa podcast. Uh, I am your host Dr. Michael mm-hmm. Wankwa. Uh today I'm joined by a very important guest, uh honorable Ginny Mabunda to discuss the natural resource field uh war in the in the, the Democratic Republic of Congo and its political economy. Um honorable Ginny Mabunda is currently a member of parliament uh for Bumba Equota province in DRC. Uh, She's also a honorary House Speaker at DRC. She's a former Speaker of the National Assembly of the DRC. Uh, She served from April 2019 to December 2020. She's a former Minister uh, for Public Enterprise and she's also a fervent advocate for women's rights, uh, which has earned her uh, a lot of um, national and international awards. Uh, she also has she's, she also has a, a foundation called um called the Break the Silence Foundation, where she supports several social and community uh, projects from infrastructure uh, such as roads and bridges to clean water to the communities and solar projects. Uh, Honorable Mabunda, you've done you've had an illustrious career so far, and you've done an amazing feat. Um, it is a very great pleasure to have you today, and and I look forward to our discussion
1: thank you thank you to receiving me
0: today to your podcast i'm happy I, myself I just, to speak about
1: africa from africa
0: that is good that is that's interesting that's interesting i, I love that i love that so let me go straight to to, to the question drc is one of the is is a blessed country you know blessed like many other countries in africa is blessed with abundant natural resources we're talking from Arable lands to fall uh, to oil, you know, and to vast deposits of minerals, uh, from cobalt to copper. Y- yet, it is one of the poorest y- countries that is bedeviled with, with political instability. Can you help me make sense of this paradox and the factors that um ail this blessed country?
1: Uh, uh, yes, you 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 name it. For for most of the people, they do consider uh, DRC uh, for today and for the future, like what the uh, uh, in the conversation. Uh, About the energy uh, and from all for the whole world. So uh, we see less of the past that is not surely the country who have the best assets and who seems to be blessed, who've got the better development agenda for their population. Uh, because they are subject to a lot of uh, attention, a lot of pressure, a lot of power battle. And uh, with DRC, we have seen it for 20 years. So uh, having assets, having minor, being mineral rich uh, can be a blessing. But uh, it can be also uh, a misfortune depending on how you manage uh, the geopolitical side of it, the security side of it, and the governance side of it for your community and your citizen.
0: Oh, brilliant. Now, speaking speaking of um, geopolitical, the geopolitical dimension of it, so if we look at the trajectory and the political development of DRC as a nation you know it was going back to the 19th century you know and down to now. So we, we see a country that seems to be in a perpetual state of, of warfare and one interesting detail is the sheer involvement of external actors you know outside the continent and also within the the region in this conflict Why is DRC caught in that web? if you look at what, what, what is the scale of this geopolitical competition? And how much does external contribution contribute to that conflict?
1: Okay, can you explain a little bit more? Uh, because the sound was not good.
0: Okay, so what I'm saying is if we look at the history of DRC, you look at its yeah. trajectory, you look at its development, even yeah, exactly. from the 19th century down to this to this period, we see a country that seems to be in a perpetual state of um, of war. But one one important mm-hmm. detail is we see external involvement. Speaking of the geopolitical competition that you mentioned, what is the scale of mm-hmm. these external actors, and why is uh, DRC caught uh, in that web?
1: Yes, I, I think you you mentioned two um, two paradoxes uh, which are really uh, pressuring on on. Africa as a mineral-rich or resource-rich region, and uh, DRC just one case amounted. Uh, You see, there is two lane which are very important and uh, which may be of impact on the development of peace or non-peace situation uh, then conflict situation in a country like DRC. There is the uh, mining geopolitics as of today, Uh, you know that uh, since the Cold War end uh, there is another battle which is more subtle but uh, which is the uh, race for economic power and economic power, economic future of some big countries, Western countries, United States or China, depends on the ability to get an ongoing supply in terms of natural resources. USA, China, Russia, but also Western Europe, India, uh, and new emerging superpower uh, are not all attract, are all attracted by, by the way they can project and plan their future in terms of access to materials, access to resources. And um, each country has its way to roll over its strategy. And Africa is in the target of this race uh, because Africa is one of the still unexploited untapped reserve in terms of some resources. Uh, and uh, it's also uh, obvious that Africa, and especially DRC, we've got it all. We've got copper, we've got cobalt, we've got diamond, uh, we've got lithium, we've got uh, tin, and uh, all that really, it's uh, uh, it's a sort of, yes, attractive point, but also it's a sort of threat uh, on the development of some of this country, mineral rich. Uh, it has been said sometime uh, that, um, in fact, we are just a playground. In fact, we are just, Africa can sometimes be seen like a Pre-ground for superpower uh, because they are the one to decide. They are the one to put the agenda, and as soon as they have drawn their agenda, uh, they decide to roll it over. And you are not stakeholder or part of it, despite the fact that the resource they are speaking about in London, in Brussels, in New York, in Paris, in Tokyo. Uh, or in any uh, uh, Chinese city these resources are embedded and played uh, down uh, in the African region so there is a conversation about the future of the planet, the future the social and economic development of the rest of the world, giving the demographic pressure but how will you implement this development. It's with the natural resources of Africa. So the conversation is about Africa, but without Africans. And sometimes uh, this imbalance is driving some people uh, to react either positively, or negatively. When it's negatively, Uh, positively you go with trade and negotiation and lobby and uh, being part of all this international organization where you are supposed uh, to be heard as a country regarding trade, regarding security and all components which makes access to this supply uh, or access to this uh, product uh, sustainable. That's the positive way. The negative way is that where people feel that this... uh, Uh, reserve of resources in Africa uh, is not well managed or not well distributed or not made easily accessible uh, to the superpower, uh, you can see some rising of conflict and uh, its mining-related conflict. Uh, You will see, referring to a report of the United Nations, that since the 90s, we have seen 18 violent conflicts uh, inspired or imposed by the race about resource exploitation. And uh, if we had on the top of it the new uh, issue of the uh, climate change, the effect on the pressure uh, for... Conflict are related. Uh, they just vary in their intensity. Uh, they just vary in their geography. It can be an intra-battle, an intra-country battle, whether local forces are battling for resource access. What we have seen in Sudan uh, in the last ten years. It can be regional, where you see that some countries have problem at their borders and frontiers uh, because of their perception regarding access or logistics to access to these resources and it can be international where hidden behind some civil war uh, some rebellions uh, they are superpower trying to reshape uh, the the rhythm of power, uh,
0: for better access uh, to these resources. Well, interesting. Uh, l- let me take you on from the last statement, talking about superpowers. You know, in this crisis and hiding to, to to in order to reshape. You know, access to the computer. two superpowers that that have been in the R C is China and U- USA, uh, and I think China has yeah. got. Uh, some sort of um agreement with the DRC. Uh, and there's been some sub to not too sub to rivalry between these two. Like we see, you know, broadly in the continent, we see a, a sort of you know race between China and and and, and the USA or the Western world, so to say. But in DRC is it's very particular, it's very specific. Can you explain that you know broader scale? Rivalry between China when it as it relates to minerals in in there is and how that influence mm-hmm. uh, the conflict in india DRC.
1: Yes, uh, regarding DRC and and the superpower, uh, the race uh, of the superpower with access to uh, uh, mining resources. I think we should be honest to go back 20 years ago because our mining code, the first mining code, was dating back. 2002. And uh, at that time, the country was just getting out of a civil war. Uh, it was a new war. Uh, we were just getting out of the Mobutu's era, where we had been a little bit isolated, diplomatically speaking. So we were trying to build a way to people uh, to come and see a war-torn devastated country without roads, without electricity, without easy access to our mining sites. We were having an incentive to the rule of the mining codes. And we made made the country open to everybody. Uh, But it's also true that uh, uh, making the country available for everybody uh, did not resonate in the same manner depending whether you are in the United States or in Asia. And uh, as time was going back, we had at first some American interest in uh, in the mining sector. I remember there were pubs, dodge, uh, and uh, the, the, the situation of the country, I mean, the analysis they did at that time regarding the security outlook of the country made some American interest pulling out of country, pulling out of DLC. Uh, in the 2009-2010, when they pull out, obviously, also it creates an empty space or a gap, and there were other competitors really out there uh, waiting for some opportunities, especially the Chinese interest, and they jump in, they jump on it. So it's not like if DRC has deliberately chosen China or United States. You know, in business, you don't normally. You look at the best opportunity according to your best interest. At that time, also, maybe some Western power were considering that investing in the mining chain, in DRC, which were also entered with a lot of rumors about bad condition of working for the kids, for the woman, uh, about... uh, uh, lack of logistics, about civil war, and all the bad reputation it can create for listed companies of the Western world, made eventually the gate open for some other countries whose dynamic is different. Also the perception in Africa, and it's not only for DRC, because if people want to insist that Chinese are in DRC, Chinese are in DRC, Chinese came in DRC, like they came in Gabon, like they came in Angola, like they came, in Asia, and like they are in all over Africa. And the question that an, an astute observer should raise is to ask why have the Chinese succeeded to be present in all the African region on the last decade? Not to criticize it not also to support it, but just to say, how does it come that many different African countries, because Congo is not Tiberiacos, it's not Angola, is not uh, South Africa, uh, all country has its specificity. But how does it come that the Chinese interest, the Chinese backbone, the Chinese financier, the, the China, how does it come that China has widespread all over the African continent. It will be interesting to be also a little bit uh, critical and to learn from that what it shows about the perception that the African continent has about its relationship with the Western world. I don't blame anybody, but I also think that if a country like United States, It's authorized to refuse this merger because it doesn't protect the interest of America first. If France is able to refuse this or this takeover because it doesn't protect the interests of France as a country, why should we not expect African countries to do the same and to say, I'm trying to get investors, The curve to get investors coming from this part of the world is slow or rapid. Should I go for the slower one or should I go for the quickest one? And that's how the conversation has to be shaped. It's not that we do like or we do not like this of this country. But people should understand that now African countries are mature and they also look at their interest first. If you say America first, why should I not say DLC first or Africa first? That's the reality. And every day on a daily basis with the BRICS rising, it shows also to us that there is a willingness in the rest of the world, in the rest of the non-Western world, to see that our economic interest is also better heard, better addressed, better protects but all is not bad because we have seen that with this new way of going to the market to look for investors in our countries the message has been understood the message has been understood and there is positive story do you know for example that uh, there is a corridor a logistical corridor was going to be created between angola and dlc uh, to allow DRC to export by a quickest channel his mineral to the rest of the world. For the time being, we are using the Southern Sadec Road, uh, which is longer than the future corridor that we will have between Congo and Angola. And despite that this logistic is belonging between two countries, Angola and Congo, DRC Congo, we have seen that European Union and United States have proposed to our country to be part of the funding of this logistical road to boost, to ease, to speed up uh, the export of minerals coming from DRC. So it it shows that they have understood our message. It is not a question of we do prefer this country to another, Uh, we've got the same cultural History, or we have got the same institutional system. No, it's a question of interest. Countries these days are are run and led by the interest in the way that it has to bring some added value to the country, to the the, the treasury account of this country, and, and, and directly to the citizen of this country. So, but the good story is that. We now try to negotiate to bargain, I will say between all the superpower because we are a country which is problem solver for the next big economic turnover or the next big economic turnaround uh, imposed by the climate change and its need of uh, strategic minerals.
0: Hanab, hmm. you've made, you made quite interesting points uh uh eh, 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 eh. and and I, I would like to start from one of the points and they're quite all linked together so it, in the cold war we, we saw that african had some sort of agency and then could they had that non-alignment policy and then you know they could manipulate between the two superpowers at the time so now what w- we're seeing also where we could talk about african agency and then looking at how africans can also I, I don't want to use the words in a negative way play this side or look at the best option for them and be able to go for what options mm-hmm. uh, suits them exactly now if, if, if we look at that uh, if i look at that which is quite uh, interesting how does that link into into that agency and looking at the african continental free trade and looking at all this bilet, bilateral agreement between Angola and DRC. Do you see that as a future? Do you see that happening more often in the future, Uh, this kind of bilateral agreement? And does that tie in into the Afri- African continental free trade? Do you see that as a, a key to solving in Africa's um uh weak connection into that global global trade where Africa is, is in a place of weakness when it comes to being tied into the global economy. Do you see this as a as a, a, a key to putting Africa, where Africa should be on the table as equal partner in the turning, you know, global economy or contributing to, you know, being basically respected for what it brings to the table. So I wanted you to, to explore further how that logical, um corridor between that agreement between DRC and Angola and how that fits into the African continent of free trade and how that presents a future for you uh, know boosting Africa's in you know position globally.
1: Yes I, I, I think you're right. Uh like I said Africa is still an unexplored continent. Uh it's an unexplored continent and uh, africa Uh, through the lens of his demographic dividend, uh, quite a young population, which means quite a a longer future, uh, given the age of his population, and his capacity of leapfrogging effect to address all this, uh, uh, I would say, economic and strategic turnaround. It's good also that uh, uh, people have understood that they don't have to force Africa to choose between United States or China uh, or United States and Russia or whatever, the message that we receive from the African leader is that it should not be automatically. I mean, a conflict or a tension or a geopolitical uh, dispute or race between superpower out of the African region should not be automatically reported, forwarded uh, to the African continent. We don't have to choose between China or United States, Russia or United States. We want, like I said, to leverage the best out of all because that's how it should be. Uh, You have seen recently India, which has nothing to do with uh, Africa, but uh, uh, India is the most populous country of the world. India has also a certain advance uh, on the technological level, and they leverage on it because that's a global race. Uh, And on some geopolitical issue, which seems to be perceived on a certain tone uh, on the western side of the world, India said, I've got my people. I've got my citizen. I've got my voters, and according to the understanding of the situation, I cannot take a stand position in favor or against this or this situation. I think it was between uh, it was the the uh, situation to name just one, uh, and I think that the African leaders these days uh, are in the same kind of spirits, they said we want to work with everybody. We don't want to be told or to be taught like students that if I'm doing business or if I'm doing politics with this country, I cannot do with the other one. Because the challenge of developing our country or people is so urgent, is so pressuring that you cannot have the luxury uh, to favor one against another. There is good things on both sides or on many sides. Uh, and I think this this attitude, this disclaim uh, uh, from the African country has to be heard. Uh, and I think that it's, it's being heard because we've seen now that more and more there is Chinese delegation coming to explain their vision or trying to Uh, to improve their understanding of the continent uh, by more regular uh, travel on site. We have seen also a lot of the uh, Biden administration traveling around in Africa, which was not the case with the president administration. So I think all that goes in the right direction uh, because together we are stronger. It's not Africa with USA against China or Africa with China against USA. We want to have mm. the, the the good side of both worlds. Mm. We want to have the good side of both worlds. It's also true that China comes in Africa uh, with a, an impressive capacity of funding, with an impressive capacity of delivering on the quickest way for some infrastructure projects and uh, with less uh, how to say that with less judging eyes
0: not to say yeah.
1: Yeah. yes, it's no I, I don't like also this this uh, this shortcut uh, because I don't want to say that uh, African countries go to China because they don't pay attention to human rights. It's not the case, but it's just applying a principle of the international law who says that. You need to leave the capacity to some uh, population to decide and to judge by themselves for their own destiny.
0: Hmm.
1: In that Hmm. way, it's how we should understand uh, the kind of relationship. And too much time, you know, also the international community has shown double standard. For some people, they do criticize for democracy, for dumped election, uh, for endless mandate of a leader. But in the next country, at the end of the border of the country that they support or they favor despite endless mandate, they are putting pressure to respect democracy to stop your uh, appointment at office after two mandates, We have seen that very clearly. We've seen that very clearly. So it makes it difficult sometimes for African leaders uh, to accept the double standard and then different ways. And this double standard has been a deterrent in the way people will appraise and perceive Western world. We have to be consistent. You cannot say that this country has made endless election, and it's always the same president for 25 years now, and it's not a problem. And say to the next door that you need to leave because your constitution says that there is two mandates. I don't say that. It's not my position to say that a leader can have endless mandate, but it's just to show the example of the double standard. And this double standard double treatment, different treatment in the same geopolitical space or in the same continent has put some dots about uh, discussing, negotiating and interacting with the Western powers. We have seen, uh, we have seen what has happened in the former French colonies uh, and the way they perceive the French presence. So uh, that should lead us to be more wise or to find new ways uh to discuss with the african continent
0: yeah amazing. i was gonna i was gonna you you link clearly to what i was going to mention i was going to mention the parallel with what is happening uh in the french former colonies we've seen in Niger, we've seen in mali burkina faso uh central african republic now but what we've seen as well we're beginning to see this anti-french sentiment and then you're seeing also this anti-western stuff but as as they as they withdraw we also see new actors we see uh, we see the russia we see wagner group we also see new actors within the continent we see military rulers that are you know fortifying their positions so but my i guess my question is how do we get new actors that to fill in this vehicle? are they going to be pursuing their, without them pursuing their own selfish political interests. Maybe have a uh, military uh coup leaders that come to uh, you know entrench themselves in that position for their own selfish interests. So how do we because we've seen again in the absence of all of this we've seen rebel leaders maybe several militia groups in DRC for instance you've seen you know I, I think that by and large a cover for it is lack of legitimacy where African we don't have those credible leaders to provide that necessary um stuff for the dividend of the or dividend of you know being a citizen of that country. So, how do we solve that conundrum? How do we get um leaders to fill in that gap as, as all these vacuums are being created by this either Western double standard? Uh, also talking about uh Russian, you know, talking about all of these actors. How do African actors, African leaders at different levels, how can they fill in that vacuum?
1: Uh, you know, um, I think the question in com- is complex and I- I'm staying very humble. I don't say that my answers are, are um, uh, the absolute truth. I can just speak uh, based on my own experience in Africa, in DRC, which is uh, European Union uh, size, and uh, try to observe and to understand what I'm hearing from uh, grassroots peoples, uh, from communities, uh, and not just from political or business elites. Uh, you speak about coup. Uh, when you speak about coup, in fact, coup is the contrary of democracy or perceived like this. But we have forgotten that democracy has created a lot of hope in the late 90s to the African citizen, not the African leaders, but the African citizen, uh, who went from very strong autocratic system and it's very difficult in poor country like Africa where people are struggling to eat three times a day uh, to get their kids going at school, uh, to get affordable social infrastructure. It's very difficult to separate or to segregate political democracy from economic and social democracy. I think one of the failure of the democracy uh, inherited from the Western type of uh, society organization is that uh, we have overlooked the fact that we have a very, very young um, kind or base of society in Africa. Here, 60% per- in DRC, more than 60% of the people have less than uh, uh, 30 years, more than 60%. And they need to see the sense, the concrete sense of democracy. If they do vote, what do they get? Do they get easy access to education? Do they get proper roads because their parents pay taxes? Uh, Do they get the hope or the certainty of an acceptable job uh, to offset expenses they've done to uh, finance their education? And that's where democracy has shown little efficiencies. Every day I'm seeing students or young people telling me, oh, Mrs. and I, I, I raise and relay the question to you. I, I raise and forward the question to you. Maybe you've got an answer, but I, I'm forwarding this question to all Africans, uh, to all, all Africans who are in position to work, to think, to act. The question of, for young people is you say that Russia is not a good system, they have no democracy. China is not a good system, they have no democracy. United Arab Emirates, it's no democracy, people do not vote there. Hmm. You say France is a good system, United States is a good system, or UK, but looking at internet, looking on social media, I'm seeing Chinese having an affordable life, I'm seeing Russian having quite a life. I'm seeing United Arab Emirates developing in less than 25 years and being a very worth of notice country. And they do not use election every five years. They don't have constitution. It's not president. It's king in, uh, in United Arab Emirates or in Morocco. So when young people see that there are other systems out of democracy, which is working and which is delivering social basic needs for the population, while democracy all over Africa and even in uh, some European countries is not delivering its promises, he will be disappointed by the election time of vote for democracy Uh, at regular cycle. And this despair, this lack of hope or this lack of confidence in democracy being able to deliver social promises for the most or the majority of the citizen may create this situation of military coup that you mentioned. Uh, Military coup, I'm not for it, I'm not for it. Uh, because I think that there is more advantages in democracy than in military coup. But we should try to understand what were the seeds of this military coup in Guinea and uh, in Gabon and other countries. What was the seeds? The seeds was a bad governance, a bad governance, a governance, which is tribal, family oriented, and kleptocratic group of friends. So Mm. governance, or lack of it, may create despair and may create lack of hope leading to this kind of brutal transition or brutal situation. I'm not for it, because I think democracy has also proven its value in Africa, Mm. whether we look at Kenya, Whether we look at Liberia, whether we look at Ghana uh, to name but few, and why not South Africa? So we should not throw in the bath the positive advantage of democracy, but it's a very fragile exercise and the sense of urgency in Africa for the expectation, the claim, the ambition of our young people is very strong. And so we should amplify the rhythm uh, by which we are trying to transform in Africa with more opportunity for young peoples. Uh, that, that's, for me, a very key. You cannot just have a political democracy where people go one day to vote and then our leaders forget them for five years or seven years or 10 years. And when they vote again, it doesn't improve Never. So that is really the challenge of uh, the classical in-bracket democracy. If democracy, political democracy do not match with um, economic democracy, this imbalance is creating tension.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you 100%. I, and these are, the, these are the questions that I'm exploring in my in one of the books that I'm currently writing, looking at um, uh, challenging liberal democracy in Africa and how it's, it's uh, also contributing to militarization in, in Africa. Uh, But speaking of that, if I bring it back to to, to, to DRC, we've seen, you know, DRC has, you know, endured maybe like two civil wars and and it's had impact on, strong economic impact, social impact on uh, the citizens, especially the women and and the children. And you've been involved. If I look at the work you've, you've done, the amazing work you've done in terms of like, uh, children that have been you know deployed in in combat in combating these wars or women that have been victims of this war how, how, how far have we come looking at that impact on on these you know this demographic yes. women and children
1: that's why we do not like all oh, what is linked with violence uh use of violence whether it's military whether it's uh, rebel led uh, all what is violence is not good because uh, you know when it starts, you don't know when, when it ends. And uh, the first victim of all this violence are usually more women and their kids. Uh, and uh, I, I think that, you know, the consequences of all this uh, uh, security situation is that women are more vulnerable, they are exposed. Exposed meaning that whether it's about Mining race, artisanal mining, they are in the value chain, but uh, in very uh, desperate working condition where they can face um, uh, sexual uh, blackmail, uh, where they can face uh, 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 violence. Uh, That's for the mining chain. If you are in a disorganized conflict-torn region where people are digging and, and, and looting mining, uh, but the war itself, it's a risk and a threat, especially for the woman, because when you come in a city, even if you are the, the, the smartest rebel, you need water, you need to, to be fed. And who should you ask to? For that, it's woman. And this proximity with people who are uh, in a conflict mode is very dangerous for the woman and for their children. That's why you have seen that Congo as a very uh serious or significant rate about uh, uh, uh rape and violence on women. Uh and that's why public authorities, governments since 10 years now, since 2033 2033, 2013 sorry, uh are trying to address it by having special envoy, by uh, uh listening more and organizing platform of defense with uh uh, network of NGO. So yes, uh, conflicts are affecting at first women and their children, and it's not uh, a tale or a luxury to, to, to tell it. Uh, probably also sometimes it seems like an, an annoying song. People say, "Well, Congo, Congo, capital of rape," but uh, behind the statistic, they are very hard, very painful human and woman situation. Uh, now we've got an Eastern Congo's tense situation, a security situation with so-called M23 rebels. Uh, it makes that Congo has seven million internal displaced people within its border. I think it's the, the biggest figure of internal displaced people in their own country, seven million. And let's imagine what are the condition of the women in this uh, refugee camp in their own country? It's not that uh, they are elsewhere. They are in their own country. They've got the passport of this country, but they are living in bad condition. Uh, that gives you an idea about how women uh, and their kids can be exploited without access to uh, intimacy, water, uh, sanitization. So uh, war is affecting women? More seriously than men, because uh, they are the first row uh, of the battle when it comes, whether because uh, uh, they are vulnerable or after having won their war, uh, the new power, or the, the, I will say, the rebel leader or the the, the military leaders uh, are using them for uh, daily tasks. So uh, yes, I think that. Uh, this is an issue, and we, we should keep on calling about that. We should keep on denouncing and breaking the silence about this uh, behavior. Especially now that all over the world uh, stood up uh, for this conversation about uh, fighting against violence of women, even if it's the, in different way. It's me too in the United States. It's fighting against sexual violence with, for example, Dr. Mubege, uh in DRC and a number of more anonymous NGOs who are doing a tremendous work uh, because women should feel secure in their own country, in their own land, in their own community.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, before I come to the last question, um, I-, I wanted to ask what the, the DRC government is doing because we've seen, again, uh, they, they've had several <laughs> legislation. Yeah, the DRC itself, the government of the DRC, they've had several legislation. So they think there was a mining law uh at one point uh to regulate the activities of of the the you know these external uh companies, transnational companies that are mining and the impact is having on the people and on the wall. So what, what is DRC what is it doing in terms of legislation at the legislative level? And also in terms of um, you know implementing these laws, what 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 are they doing to to regulate this uh, this economic activities that are you know? So what what I'm saying is at the legislative level, we've seen where there there, there is um there are different legislations that have been uh, established at, at the legislative level to regulate this mining stuff by. The, the transnational companies, whether it's a Chinese company, whether it's this, what, what impact is that having in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, covering these issues that are inspiring all this conflict that are also having all this ripple effect on mm-hmm. citizens that are causing them economic woes, economic problems that lead them into all of these poor uh, states that are being, uh. living in, in refugee situation.
1: Yes, for example, uh, uh, about registration or measure taken by the states of Congo regarding um, back-positioning of women, violence of women, violence of women in the mining sector. Uh, We have, for example, trained a lot of policemen and soldiers uh, to make them sensitive to uh, uh, our existing law, which is dating back 2006. Uh, We've got an existing law who's condemning uh, rape of woman and, and describing all the cases of uh, uh, rape which are uh, not authorised, I mean which are uh, uh, condemned by law. Uh, so the law does exist and the law has been refreshed recently uh, where we even add, uh, we, we, we even go beyond because we said not only we are condemning, not only it's a penalty, uh, but we should also go beyond that and say that uh, you have ruined the life of a victim and uh, we need to repair that. So uh, we have now created a reparation fund uh, by a law uh, which was uh, uh, brought to the parliament uh, in a manner that it's not just condemning uh, the perpetrators, but it's also making sure that If the rape has been committed by a public servant, depending on the states of Congress, has a reparation funds, which can protect the victim, which can ask for uh, reparation being the the penalty, uh, the the fine that the perpetrator has to pay uh, according to his nation. And uh, this is quite recent. It has been approved in 2023. Uh, just to show the nation of the public authorities. It's also true that uh, we have now a special dedicated policemen and women to welcome victims of rape uh, at the police station Uh, because in the past it was a little bit difficult, you know, Uh, you are not well welcomed by a policeman because he doesn't know really what is the law, what is the psychological behaviour, Uh, what is the first emergency uh, measure to take. So uh, with the help of the United Nations, we have set up uh, a training program for our policemen uh, so that they can uh, face this kind of situation. And even in some places, like in Bukavu, uh, which is in Eastern Congo, we've got police stations specially dedicated in a a secluded area for women victims of rape uh, getting a special support from a special police uh, trained for that. This is an example of uh, uh, legislation. We can also say uh, the rule of example is very important. Uh, in Congo, we were able to condemn, and it's not an easy task, to condemn even high-ranked generals uh, who committed rape on women. Uh, and it was a breakthrough. It was done in 2013. Uh, and before that, you can look at the rule of precedent regarding this matter in Congo, people were thinking that uh, a high ranking general cannot be p- condemned for rape because rape was culturally tolerated, I will say. So it was a case of uh, the beginning of a change in the behavior of the public servant of the state regarding the matter. So... Uh, it shows that uh, it's possible by law um, to, to change the situation. Um, then if you don't go for better implementation of law, dedicate counter for woman victim of rape, it's also about training, training of the woman, knowing their right in general, not only when you are raped, but also uh, how you have to behave as a woman uh chief of a family uh to make your right respected uh whether it's about uh, inheriting in in inheriting from your men who died whether it's about uh, uh, yeah. learning some skills uh to be supportive of your family uh, so uh, making women aware of the aware of the rights is quite uh, important too then i think uh, it's also very important uh, to get more attention, more focus on the economic empowerment of women. Uh, economic empowerment of women, not only for some grassroots, but to help them to believe in their self, to become self-confident, to get knowledge of for, for some sense of leadership, to dream big. Because the African culture is not pushing really a little girl to dream big. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, which is in United States, was born in the United States. I wish that the next Oprah Winfrey comes from Africa because uh, she has been uh, so much loved as a little girl that uh, she can believe in it.
0: Thank you everyone for listening today to today's um episode um on natural resource field uh war in the drc uh today you've been listening to honorable Ginny mabunda uh the honorable minister of parliament at the drc and uh she's blessed us with a a great insight into uh some of the most uh, protracted and complicated um, um Topic and issue in 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 in, in the RSA. Uh, stay tuned, uh, and please subscribe to our, our podcasts on Spotify. We are on Spotify and Apple, and also follow and subscribe to our YouTube uh, page uh, for more episodes and more updates. Thank you, and see you next time.